0: One day each person will stand in judgment before the Holy God of all eternity, and God will judge everyone by their works. He'll judge their works to reveal what it is that they truly had faith in during their lives. Either they rested completely in his power alone to save them, or they held back and put some of their faith in themselves and their efforts to purchase heaven by some good turn on their part. Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life. I'm Joe Van Hoogen, the director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. And to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship here in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. In Romans chapter 2, verses 5-11, through 11, we have described for us the way of the person who has placed their faith in Christ. They live a life of patient endurance. They are motivated by a desire for God to be glorified and to know that glory and by a longing to live in his good pleasure or to know his honor. And finally, they're motivated by a hope to one day be pure from all sin. It won't work that way. It goes in the opposite direction. We're gazing upon the object of our faith and all of our hope, which is him. So we gaze upon him by faith, trusting in him alone and not in our own righteousness. The wonderful thing is we're conformed more and more into his righteousness. And we long to go to heaven where we will see his righteousness fully displayed before us. And oh, that will be glory for me. That's the idea. Here it also says, by honor. Here it says, they seek glory and they seek honor. It doesn't mean they're seeking the honor of people and the praise of people and they're not seeking the honor they can give themselves so they can think better of themselves you know the real problem in your life you just don't have a a good enough self-esteem you don't think well enough of yourself And actually no the problem with the person who's wallowing in poor self-esteem or the person who's arrogant is both of them think too much of themselves one thinks I should be better than I am because I really deep down inside should be appearing and people should know me and see me as a wonderful person and the other person is under the delusion that's how people see them how they see themselves. But both of them are thinking too much of themselves. They're seeking the affirmation of others. No, this individual is seeking the honor that comes from God alone. Actually, Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said that the desire and pursuit of honor from others or even wanting to please yourself is contrary to a life of faith. He said to the Pharisees, I don't know how you can believe and give honor one of another when you don't seek alone the honor that comes from God this here is a desire to seek and know the honor that comes from God the Bible says that when we come before the judge and the judge receives us unto himself his response to us at that moment will be well done thou good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the Lord and you know that's what we want that's the motivating desire God I want to please you I want to satisfy you my eye is on you my hope is in you I want to live the rest of my life in the joy of your joy. In the pleasure of your pleasures. That's what I want. I want to please and satisfy you. The next thing it says he seeks immortality. And the word here for immortality is actually incorruptibility. What it means is they want to live in a pure and perfect state where they are beyond sin and beyond all its defilements. They want to be shed of their sins. I've said this before that Before a person comes to Jesus Christ, they have a sin problem. It's holding them in bondage. After you give your life to Jesus Christ, all those sins are washed and forgiven. But what happens next is you have a problem with sin. You hate it. Every word that it presents itself in your life, you hate it. And you long to be rid of it and shed from it. You long for the day in which you'll be in its presence and you'll be delivered from the very presence of sin. You want to be pure and undefiled in every way. And that's the longing that's in their heart. That's the promise, by the way, they've embraced when they believe in Jesus Christ. Paul speaks about that promise and that hope in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 52 through 54. Here's the hope of the believer. Here's what he's longing for. He's longing for that day. Well, let's go back to verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I'll tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall it be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory." The person who has put all his faith and trust in Jesus Christ wants not only to somehow get on the other side of death so they can just enjoy themselves, they want to be victorious over it completely. They don't want it to be every residue of the decay of sin to be removed from their lives. They want incorruptibility and perfection that only Christ and the purity that only God can bring to them and give them. That's what motivates them. Now, remember, Paul is speaking to the moralist. And Paul is saying to the moralist, This is the spring that prompts the life and motivates the action of a person who has found the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ alone. This is the motivating spring that rules the person or individual who has received or is ready to receive the eternal life that God will give him one day. What I have to ask for you moralist, you who have puffed yourself up and thought you're better than others and you're going to win your salvation by your good deeds, can this be said of you? Is this what is said in your own life? Is this what is behind all of your moralistic ways of living? Are you, above all things, motivated by a desire to glorify God? Is your great motive a desire to live in the pleasure and delight of God? Is your great desire to be before God pure in every way, with the purity of his own life radiating through you? And the moralist knows it's not. It's impossible that it can be. Because the moralist has put his faith and is resting his look Upon himself and his own efforts and his own labors and placing it in his own personal attainments and development. The fact is, they bristle at the suggestion that they're not good enough and they can't be good enough to earn their own salvation by their morality. Look at the manner in which the moralist lives. Look what he says here about the moralist. Instead of patient continuance as the rhythm that marks the life of this individual, his life is marked by a rhythm of, in verse 8, self-seeking self-seeking. Now the root of that word is actually a little different. It's been translated self-seekingly but it's actually not a verb it's a noun and the noun basically implies that it's a life lived out of a mercenary spirit. It's a person who's haggling for their pay so that they'll fulfill their duties. I'll be a soldier you pay me I'll be your soldier. It actually can be translated as a factious or contentious spirit. It's a person who wants independence from God but at the same time wants to get what they think they've earned does not want to come under the Word of God doesn't want to come under the demands in the way of God remember what Paul said about all men it says in verse 18 of chapter 1 when Paul speaks of this gospel that's coming then he puts it in light of the situation of all people it's coming to people and they'll need this gospel because right now he says The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The moralists, like everyone else, they're pressing God away from their lives. They're not wanting to engage the truth that God is speaking to them. And at the same time, they're haggling over their good deeds as the basis of their salvation. I know I've been good enough. I hope I've been good enough. I've done this and I've done that. Fyodor Dostoevsky tells the parable of a cruel woman who was sent to hell. And while she's in hell, she appeals to St. Peter that she actually deserves to be in heaven. She's done some things that merit her being in heaven. He asked her to give her a reason why she should be in heaven. And she says, well, cruel woman says, well, there was a time in my life in which she thought through her life. And she realized, there was a time when I gave to a beggar a carrot. So the records were reviewed. And certainly enough, there was this old wilted, rotting carrot that she did give to a beggar at one point in time and so a decision was made a string would be tied to the carrot the carrot would be lowered down to the floor of hell she could take hold of it and she could be pulled up out of hell into heaven carrot comes down she grabs hold of it other individuals in hell see her grabbing hold of the carrot and rising up from the floor of hell. And they come and they grab hold of her ankles, hoping that they too, on that merit, on that action, can be pulled up out of hell into heaven. And as she's being pulled up, the carrot starts to give way because of the weight of those who are being added to this carrot that's being pulled up. And she screams out with all of her might, Let go of me! This is my carrot, not yours! She plunges back to the floor of hell knew That's the parable of the person who's seeking to save themselves by their own good deeds, by their own work. That's the sum total of it. You add it up, just a carrot here, a carrot there, a work here, a work there, done actually for their own salvation, may have looked good, may have looked quite altruistic, done to prove themselves, prove their virtue, save themselves. It won't work. It won't count. Here's another thing we see here. That motive, that self-seeking or contentious motive, and by the way, you see this contentious motive because the next thing you see is that you might say the motivating spring that motivates their life. The rhythm is this self-seeking rhythm, this mercenary rhythm in their life, but then also the thing that motivates their life, it says is they're actually opposed to the truth. They're motivated by proving God wrong, taking a different position. They don't like to hear a suggestion that they can't save themselves. They revolt from it. They're under revolt. Their lives. They're motivated by a rebellion against God deep down inside. Even if they try to prove themselves good, there's a rebellion within them. It says they do not obey the truth. They're contending against God. I thought of a number of illustrations of this. This has come apparent to me many times when you're sharing the gospel with somebody. When I was a very young pastor, we lived in what was the parsonage. It was out in the countryside on the grounds of the church. There was a lady that lived along our property line where we lived who had a, a row of roses, and she was always out taking care of her roses. She went to another church in the community, and she always spoke to me with profound sanctimony. She had this kind of dripping, wet language of, uh, of reverence towards me. In fact, she always referred to me as parson. I lived in the parsonage, and I was parson. It's kind of like, reverend. Oh, reverend, it's so good to see you. It's a parson, it's so good. So she spoke to me like this all the time, and, well, I would, you know. Spoke to her like, I didn't act any differently. And I'd speak with her and visit her. And one day I was visiting her over the roses. We were getting ready to go on a long vacation. And so I was maybe asking her to keep an eye on our home. And oh, certainly Parson, I'd be happy to do that for you, et cetera. Anyhow, the conversation went. And she made some comment about everybody being a good person. And and she wanted to help me and, and do what good she could do for me. And I said, well, actually, the reason that we need Jesus to be our Savior is the Bible says we're not good. The Bible actually says, God's word says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And she responded to me in a way that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Because prior to this, as I'm telling you, all I heard was this sanctimonious voice. But she said at that moment, oh, I don't believe that. But it was actually very dark and sinister sounding when she said it. Like a total revolt against the idea. I didn't abandon that conversation. I said, well, I think there's more that we should talk about. Can I come by and... Can I visit you this afternoon and your husband? She was the church-going one. Her husband wasn't at all. He was considered to be the, the wild rebel from his family. And so I went to visit her. She was an elderly lady and her husband. And there I shared the gospel with him. And you know what I found? He was listening. He was sympathetic. He was responsive. His eyes began to fill with tears. But she would have none of it. She wouldn't listen to any of it. The suggestion that she was not righteous in herself, that our good works were nothing to God, that they were filthy rags, and that she needed the righteousness only that Jesus Christ could give, she wouldn't hear it. Tracy's story, we left the next day on vacation, I came back three weeks later and, uh, well, while he had been talking to her, I noticed she had a bit of a cough. On the day after I left, she went to see the doctor and they discovered that her lungs were filled with cancer and she actually died before we returned from our vacation. I hope and pray the message and the word that was given to her at the time somehow penetrated through in the last moments of her life and she put her faith in the Lord Jesus alone. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.